I think of a moment too when I have an employee who has left me to go on to a bigger, better thing, then I feel like I did my job because we want them to grow, whether it's within the organization, ideally, but sometimes you don't have that opportunity for them, so you want them to grow. A leader's job is to help people realize their full potential, even if it's with a different organization. I'm Rebecca Metter, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. The healthcare industry has been hit hard by the pandemic. Yet, despite those challenges, there's a silver lining. Michelle Sanchez-Bickley, Chief Human Resources Officer at Renown Health, saw everyone in her organization step it up during COVID, releasing themselves from silos that long existed before. From IT workers delivering food to HR people becoming care aides, Michelle is passionate about people, quote, crossing over into new roles. What empowers someone to make such a switch? In this episode, Michelle will share how simple conversations often lead to significant change, and that's when she knows she's on the right track. But first, let's hear how her journey started. I started not really knowing what I want to do, which I think is most people when they're in college, but I graduated back East in Maryland and ended up with poli-sci and justice studies as my majors and Spanish and social as my minors. And I fully intended that I was going to go to law school, but I identified through that process that that probably really wasn't for me. And instead, I really enjoyed more the people aspects and those kinds of things. At the time, I was falling in love towards the end of school and decided that I would follow my then-to-be husband to Atlanta, where I kicked off my job after I graduated. I signed up with an agency for temporary work because that's what I did all through college when I came home because you had to make some money. And I figured, well, I'll start there because I don't know what I really want to do. And when I signed up for that agency work, they said, have you thought about doing what we do and do recruiting? And I really hadn't, but I knew that I loved working with people. I knew I loved recruiting. I actually, in hindsight, probably would say that I recruited even in college that I didn't realize I did. I was rush chair and a few other things for the sorority. So by nature, I was actually always recruiting, but I didn't realize it. So I started recruiting in a staffing firm in Atlanta, actually got to recruit for the 96 Olympics. So I am dating myself, but that was a really fun journey. And through that, I then decided I really did like components of HR. And so I went and got my master's degree through Georgia State University. That really kind of started my HR journey. But I also knew I didn't really want to stay in Atlanta forever. I'm a West Coast girl by heart, and I wanted to come back out West. So my then husband that we did end up getting married, we decided to drive across country and go back to the West Coast, which I'm from. He's not. And I started with an HR consulting firm. And then from there, they the firms that I worked with and I found corporate recruitment and ultimately HR journalists work through Fortune 500 companies in the Bay Bay Area. One thing that you had shared with me before, which I felt was really interesting and uh, potentially indicative of the type of leader you are today, is that when you were younger, your family moved, was it from California to Maryland? Can you share a little bit with our listeners about that story? Yes, my dad would love this story, I'm sure. But yes, so when I was in high school, being the fun teenager daughter that I'm sure I was, my dad moved to the East Coast and we'd never been to the East Coast. And I couldn't believe we were doing it. And of course, my sister and I stopped our feet, but we ended up there. 
And my dad, a year later, had been working very diligently behind the scenes to get us back to California because I'm sure that, you know, he was trying to do the best for the family. And he came to us and said, great news. I got us moved back. And I said, well, I don't want to go now. And so having had a career in recruitment and HR for so many years, you recognize how incredibly difficult that was to try to move a family all the way to the East Coast and then back within a year only to have a teenage daughter say, no, thank you. (laughs) But my parents were gracious and they allowed me to finish out my senior year of high school, which is when I then picked colleges and ended up staying. So they moved and then you stayed alone, basically, with friends, is it, in Maryland? Yes. And their parents. I was with parents, so I wasn't totally on my own. But yes, they were all gracious to take in this basically homeless child who decided to stay. (laughs) But how brave of you to decide that you would stay behind and finish out your high school year there? I didn't really think of it at the time as that, but I guess it probably was because there was a lot of independence and learning that I had to do to the point that I remember staying with this family and it was time to go to school and I overslept and I woke up and everyone was gone. And they said, well, why? Well, you slept. I go, well, no one woke me up. They go, that's your issue, not ours. (laughs) So I was like, I learned pretty quickly that I was still needing to be independent and grow up a little bit. Wow. So you were really sort of in charge of your own destiny, even so much so that when you overslept the alarm, they weren't even going to let you know when they left the house. No, they said that's a learning lesson for you. And it sure was. (laughs) Wow. Oh, goodness. Do you think that's informed sort of the way that you are now as an adult and as you went through your career and some of the shifts that you've made over time? I think that's probably true. I mean, I think being a California girl by trade, but then living on the East Coast down in the South, and now actually up here in Reno, you really do learn a lot about yourself and about other people, other cultures, other cities. And whether it's a big city or a small city, you do have to adapt and you have to be open to those different circumstances. My husband and I actually, during COVID, where you can't really travel, we decided to go back east to Maryland, and that would never be a vacation destination, really. And I got to tell you, it was one of the best vacations because we saw our friends from high school. We saw our friends from college. We have some family back there, and it was just really a, a really great trip. That sounds great. You know, this has been such a transformative two years for our industry. Can you share a little bit about your journey of going through COVID and leading people in a large health system like Renown? So I had mentioned I was in the Bay Area and then ended up here in Reno. And I decided at that time I knew I wanted to do uh, human resources, but I really felt like healthcare was going to be an amazing journey because these were people who gave back and being in healthcare, HR, which you can do HR in really any industry, you get to help those who help others and, and get people well. So I've been now with Renown Health for almost 20 years, and in that time have seen incredible growth, um, incredible opportunities that have occurred. And COVID was certainly one of those dynamics, and you know, still dealing with COVID. But I think just the incredible passion about our teams, our staff, watching them come together, watching the community surround us and be so supportive. We're the only um, not-for-profit healthcare in our area, but also the largest healthcare provider. So we had kind of this unique scenario of community really coming together and staff and you know, really some really difficult times. When it was the original two weeks to flatten and to really have hospitals prepare, we had a senior leadership team who said, 
then let's really prepare. Let's do this right because we didn't know what it was. And the teams with amazing frontline staff all the way through, we actually built a hospital, an alternative care site in our parking garage to house up to 1,500 vets. And we did that in 10 days. So it was a pretty phenomenal piece. Thankfully, we didn't really have to use that. So that was a good thing. But we did take seriously our part in the community to be prepared. But I'll tell you, it was everybody helping, whether you were a clinician or you were HR, you were putting cots out and you were rolling out PPE for everybody. That breaking down of sort of boundaries, silos, I think is something that is a a real sort of silver lining of the pandemic. When you think about that, what are some areas that you think we're going to benefit from as an industry as we've seen these silos come down so that innovations like building a hospital in a parking lot can happen. I think it what it showed us, because healthcare sometimes is last in the world of different industries to move forward in a lot of things. And I think the pandemic taught us that we can be much more nimble and that we do need to be innovative in our approach and that yes, there are different licenses and different certifications for scope of work. But in reality, you can cross some of these things and really do a more collaborative opportunity with staff. So, you know, we had HR people that were actually becoming care aides. We had IT people who were delivering food. It was like everybody did whatever they could to try to help the, the frontline clinicians. So coming out of that, there were things that we put in artificial intelligence for a chatbot for our candidates. We did video streaming for interviews, which historically in healthcare, we always thought we had to meet you in person no matter what. <laughs> we did a lot of work around different innovative strategies for our regional transfer center where we can see anywhere in a patient's journey where they're at and how to move their care, how to make sure that we're more integrated in our overall approach and break down some of those silos. It's still work in progress, but I think healthcare is going to be better for it with this this journey. When you talk about walking in other people's shoes and the experience that that can give you to open your eyes to what someone else is going through, it's so much more than just hearing about what it takes to care for someone. And I've heard this time and time again, but you know, we're all in healthcare for the same reasons, whether we are in IT or finance or HR, or we're providers or we're clinicians, we're all here to help patients in some way. When you get to kind of cross the the road, so to speak, and see other roles and actually be a part of them, it seems to me like you can generate empathy and connection with people that go way beyond your scope so that you become so much more powerful as an organization overall. Have you seen the culture improve as a result of that and sort of cohesiveness? Yes, we have seen where I think there's just a greater appreciation of each other's roles on both ends, both from the clinician understanding the back of the house, if you will, or support services roles and support services understanding more about the clinician's roles. And at the end of the day, people we care for are our families and our communities. So it could very easily be my mother, my father in that same bed, and knowing that we have a team to wrap them in whatever services they need is pretty powerful. Um, and it's pretty powerful that no matter the lens, that's why you work here. I remember the story in this housekeeper touched my heart years ago, and she would say that the most important thing for her was how she cleaned that room. And I would ask her, I said, what does that mean for you? And she says, I sometimes use 20 mops for one room. 
And I would say, why? And she had incredible pride in that. She said, because that room could be my mother, my family member, and anyone who comes in that room is family of our community. So that room has to be clean. I remember a lab person telling me that when they look at the specimen, and these are like true real stories of people, when they look at the specimen, it's not just a petri dish of growing the cell. That is a human being of how they're understanding how that growth is going to occur and how they could help treat the patient. That specimen is a patient. And I thought, wow. So those were just so eye-opening for me early in my career in healthcare because I came from a financial HR background and it was just so different that how they look at it, they take each one of their jobs so seriously. I also come from like a tech background. And when I came into healthcare, I was so moved by how everyone's heart is really in it for the people, for the caring of the person. And that goes so far beyond the initial diagnostics. And we talk about this so much about human experience and healthcare and how it really is a combination of the patient, the team member, the leader, the organization as a whole, and the community. And how that experience is this integrated thing that is constantly living and it is so very beautiful and has helped people in ways that go way beyond physical care. And we're not perfect like any organization, but you hear even our nurses and our nurse leaders talk about not only their patients, but each other and how they really care what happens. And we do have departments, kind of to your point, but those silos get broken down because if I'm the housekeeper on a nurse unit, for example, I don't look at my team as my other colleague housekeepers. I look at my team as the unit and the group on my floor that I take care of. And if the nurse manager needed something, they would look at that housekeeper as part of their team, right? Because it's everybody kind of working together. So it is a, a really interesting dynamic how that works. And how beautiful to be able to look at the work that you have in front of you and to think about the impact that goes way beyond that moment, right? So like cleaning the room and how that housekeeper took so much pride in that. And really because she felt like she was cleaning for her family and using that in a very global way. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be in healthcare. You know, sometimes you hear from healthcare workers that they're just doing their job, they show up and they're just trying to get through it. And now with all of the the different types of levers being pulled on them with the pandemic, it gets really hard. And now we have the great attrition happening and burnout in ways that we've never had before. How do we tie people back to stories like that? We just had that conversation this morning with our team because while I'm giving you the glowing stories and, and they're true and they're real and we appreciate them, it is bringing people back because they're tired. A year and a half ago, healthcare was nothing but heroes. And now it's almost like, what about our healthcare anymore? That they really are still heroes and they don't want to be heroes. That's, that's not why they get into it. But the burnout is real. So we're talking about how do we reconnect hearts and minds and the aspiration of why you came into healthcare in the first place and how you really do get to make a difference every day. And some of it, some of it is just being more visible, being more focused. It's just the intentional conversation we just had. And I think it was really real where some of our leaders are saying, you know what, while people have always been so important, did I lose that? Did I forget what I was doing with everything going on in the pandemic, having to switch gears and having our hair on fire? Did we forget that people were number one? And I don't know that we did, but is there some unintended consequences to not being as laser focused on those relationships and the barriers that are put in place of social distancing or masking or things like that, where you lose a little bit of that human touch? So it is 
I think, an extraordinary effort to make sure we do not lose that connection and we reconnect that back. What are some things that you all came up with in terms of tactics or strategies that you're going to try to deploy to, to build back those human connections? Well, we've been doing lots of listening sessions and employee forums and things like that. We, we have been doing virtual town halls and getting back to some in-person. I do think wherever we can get back to in-person matters. When visitors were stopped, we recognized not only was that hard on the patient, but it was actually hard on the caregivers. We've done things also where our sick leave policy, we've made sure we're expanded for whether I need an emotional well-being day or a mental health day, whatever you want to call it, that I need to be able to rejuvenate. So can I be able to do that without fear of my job? So adding those things in, we gave everyone a a nice small holiday bonus just to say thank you for all of your hard work. And intentionally, we need to be better about rounding and being with the teams. And I think just listening. We can't solve everyone's problems because some of the things aren't necessarily about work. They are what's happened in their life or their world. Like if you think about caregivers before, they've always been in a tough situation even prior to pandemic, but they used to be able to blow off steam in different ways. Was it that they went to a nice restaurant or maybe they had a cocktail with their friends or they no longer had those outlets. So even if it's not work related, their lives have been turned upside down. So how do we get back to them about we get it no matter what it is, even if it's not work related, your life matters, your family matters, and we are family with you. And so really just trying to bridge that. We also talked about this morning, you know, making sure people are doing meaningful work and top of license work. So instead of I'm just going through my motions every day, how do we make sure that we're taking work off the plate that isn't value added to either the patient or the employee and make sure that we're having people perform at their highest level of competency? That's easier said than done, but those are the things that we're looking at of redesigning kind of our care team. One of the things that you mentioned was this concept of burnout sort of coming from outside of work. And I think that in the past when people said, oh, I'm really burnout, we were so focused on the work and the organizational reasons why a person is burnout and tried to come up with new solutions for that. But now we have a situation where a lot of burnout potentially could be coming from at home when you have people that are coming to work and yes, the work is stressful, but then they're going home and they had to homeschool their children who couldn't go into physical schools. They have a sick family member that's now at home with them. They're dealing with uh stressors like you were sharing that go way beyond what existed before, but listening to kind of what's going on with a person beyond how they're showing up in that second in their job. Like what is this sort of 360 of a person? And I think that's what you're really getting at there with these listening tours. Yeah. And we we know we don't have it completely down pat because it's a journey, but I had some of my leaders who they want so bad to do the right thing for everyone. And they feel like they have to solve all the problems. And I said, I don't think you have to solve it. I think you just need to be there side by side and listen and be there in that journey. And one of them, which seems so simple, but it was an example she told me of one of our team members who was really stressed out. And again, we assumed it was work and all those things. And it really wasn't. It was stressed out because of the vaccine issue, frankly. One person really did not want to get the vaccine and the family was adamant a different way. And at the end of the day, it was tearing the family apart where this person said, I'm more stressed because my family basically has told me I can't be with them for Thanksgiving. That's real. And those are the kinds of things that I think we don't recognize that our staff is going through. And that really had nothing to do with work. 
but how do we get to, we're, we're walking in that journey with them side by side, wherever we can and meet them with grace. How tough too, because we're not going to be able to solve everything for everyone, but we are able to listen and be there and be present. Yeah. And actually I said, well, how did that end up going? What was the outcome? And they said, you know what, even though we couldn't solve it, it, they were so much happier just to get that off their chest and have someone listen. And of course, then they had a million invitations for Thanksgiving. So, you know, it all worked out, but you just never know where one conversation can lead if you just take the time. So true, Michelle. One of the things that we talk about a lot at Moments Move Us are the moments when we felt seen or someone else felt seen by us. And it's in these moments where I think a lot of learnings can live. Can you share over the last year or two a time when you really felt seen? That's a hard one because for me, it's usually probably the after fact of certain things. I'll be going through what I think is the right thing to do and having the conversations or trying to solve a problem. But it's almost after the fact when people come to you and said, you just have no idea the difference that you made for me. And I'm like, what? Like, I just had a normal conversation with you and I encouraged you and I told you you can do it. And so for me, I think it's more on that side. So I've had a couple career conversations with people. And really at the moment, you're just talking to them about the world of possibilities and what they can do and how to take the steps to get there. And afterwards, when they got there and they come back and said, I wouldn't have done this if you didn't talk to me about it. And then you're like, oh, wow, who knew that we could have those kinds of impacts on relatively simple things. So I don't know that there's a one moment that in that moment, I was like, oh, wow, I've arrived. I think it's more of a series of multiple things that behind the scenes, you later hear about that, how good it was. I think of a moment too, when I have an employee who has left me to go on to a bigger, better thing, then I feel like I did my job because we want them to grow, whether it's within the organization, ideally, but sometimes you don't have that opportunity for them. So you want them to grow and to get a letter months back later from that person to say, you don't know what a difference you made in my life. I wouldn't have been here had you not coached me and mentored me to get to this point. And I thought, okay, that's a moment. It didn't need to be lights and camera. It just needed to be a simple thank you or you made a difference. And what you did in those moments was I think you really showed up for those people to get to know what their goals were and then help them to meet them regardless of what your goals were for them in the first place. So sort of this openness that you have, I think sounds like in a lot of ways is really your superpower. I don't know about that, but um, we're just trying to do the right thing. I think the other thing I would say is, again, it's not lights and glamour, but I've done some pretty cool things with my team of saying, what if we did this as a vision? And then together they help implement it. And we've done some pretty cool work for strategies of helping people find careers in healthcare that they wouldn't have ever even thought that they could do. And so those have been really fun to watch. And the CNA apprenticeship is one and our most recent, which is a medical assisting apprenticeship is another. And we're going to continue to to spearhead those because I do think they make a difference. I think they bring into people healthcare who thought they never could be. And we can help give them the tools and the skills they need. And frankly, they'll grow from there. They won't just stop at those roles. Some might, but they have an opportunity to keep going. And I, I think those things to me also make a difference when I look back. 
That's outstanding. I, I'm hearing a lot about how we can empower folks like LPNs and what does that look like to get people sort of working at their highest and best use is something that we say a lot at Wambi. So when we start off, I think about why can't an LPN do certain things at the bedside that maybe they can be trained to do? And then what does it look like over time as they grow into other roles and to become even more impactful at an organization? I think that's right. And you could crosswalk that to really any discipline within HR. And one of the things during the pandemic, you have to financially pivot as well. So you have to do some creative things to change. And we had decided a particular area of the organization, we weren't going to maintain. It wasn't really our core competency and we had to move on that. And I think that was in our warehouse area. Well, our warehouse team workers would have thought, well, I'm a warehouse worker. That's what I do. And instead, we were able to successfully talk to them about what do you want to do? And in one case, we had one who we trained them and they became a pharmacy tech and they would have never thought that that was their avenue. And another one, we put them through our coding university because they liked doing that kind of detailed thinking work and put them through our coding university. So it's not even just on the traditional clinical end, but in all of those ends, how do you help people? I love what you said at Wambi. What was that? Your mantra at Wambi? Which one? About about uh, the, the highest the and best use? Rate. Yes, that's it. Highest and best use. I love that. So I think I might steal that, but highest and best use. We didn't come up with it, but we definitely say it a lot. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And, you know, it's great, I think, for people to be thinking about that too, because when you think of like your highest and best use, you think about, am I bringing my full self into this? Am I leveraging all my talents, all my experience? And am I applying it in the ways that I want to that make me feel valued? I mean, we know people leave organizations that they don't feel connected to and they don't feel that they belong. It's hard to feel that you don't belong when you're bringing all your skills and your passion to the table and you feel like it's working and you're achieving your mission. So how do we create more moments like that as we think about the great attrition, so to speak, or as some people are saying the great talent swap? Yeah, well, there's that too, right? I have to say, even though we're losing, we're getting some great talent too. So there is the talent swap. And I think some of it is how do we fill our own bucket? And how do we fill others' bucket? If we don't have leaders who are fulfilled and energized, they really can't do that for their staff. So we sometimes need to, I think, as leaders, take a moment to say, what fills my bucket? How can I make that difference so that I can be there for others and allow them to do it? A simple thing, I'm having my CEO tomorrow go with me because he loves kiddos. He was a pediatrician by heart. But we have a childcare center. I'm like, you have to come with me to go see our kiddos in the childcare center. So I think it's Connecting at all of those levels of however we fill the bucket, whether it's our senior team down to our frontline level, because we got to remember all of them. That sounds like an amazing thing to do. I'm sure that, that you're looking forward to that. <laughs> it will be fun. It reminds me of at Wambi, we talk about like when you read recognitions that come directly from patients, sometimes people will tell us it's like back in the day when you would visit the babies in the nursery and it would just make you feel so good and warm and fuzzy. And it's that same feeling coming back to you. I feel like this is exactly what you're going to experience tomorrow. 
Yeah, I hope that'll be fun. And then we have a pretty amazing employee recognition platform tool that we use as well. And you can celebrate people via social and all of that stuff. We also put together recently a video studio where our um, employees at all levels, we can send them a couple of questions about what they feel good about, what they enjoy. And it's a quick video that they do. And then behind the scenes, we have this little lab that we can make it fancy and, and burst it out. So we're kind of doing that too, to just try to celebrate. Sometimes it's, it is more of the simple things. It doesn't need to be so grandiose. And I think that's where you get the hearts and minds more. Totally agree. It's not in the huge sort of major parties and things like that. It's in the little moments like you were sharing earlier about how you didn't even really know that what you were doing with your team members to propel them forward in their career was such an important thing for them and and these big aha moments. But you found out later that if it weren't for those conversations, they may never have done it. We did um, last week a fun thing that was a fill your bucket moment. We do a high potential program where we have staff level folks who are nominated and they're from across the organization. So a bunch of discipline. We probably do about 25 of them every six months or so. And we just finished our 11th group and we've turned that into um, a graduation where they basically are six months where they get to shadow. They do a lot of self-reflection, understanding communication styles of their own. So it's a pretty collaborative group and you have to be pretty vulnerable. It's kind of an interesting dynamic, but when we were at this graduation, it was such an amazing event. And I got to tell you this one security guard, this was just such a touching thing. So he was in the class and we make them do a tiny little speech, which is very intimidating. But every time they do it, you hear the most amazing things and they grow tremendously. This security guard came and he had his daughter with him and his mother. And he gave the speech about renowned security are in purple is our color. He said, they are our purple knights. He goes, they are my purple knights. And he went through this whole story. And unfortunately, one of the purple knights died of COVID during COVID. Okay. And so he, it was very heart wrenching. I mean, there was not a dry eye in the audience, but what he talked about was that purple night family that he had from the security and his little daughter who was, I think she was four. She stood up on a chair and she said, yay, daddy. And it was just like the coolest thing ever. And what those guys said, cause I had clinicians, pharmacists, nurses, we had a cook, we have a security guard. I'm only mentioning a few disciplines, but because they had to work so closely together for those six months, they found each other in this process. And that was a really cool journey. And again, somewhat unintended. We're trying to build them as high potential, but they found something with each other that connected the dots to. I love that story about the Purple Knights. That is so moving. And just what an amazing opportunity to be able to empower someone to share that across all the other high performers at the organization and really speak their truth and also share what was hard and the fact that he had lost a colleague. Yeah. And and what we realized too is the amount of psychological safety you have to have within that cohort to share those moments and then to take it and to do that as your speech. I mean, wow, that's pretty good and probably a little therapeutic as well for the team. The vulnerability piece I think is critical and We have such a hard time in a work setting being vulnerable and in a healthcare setting being vulnerable. I think it comes and it goes like in certain ways, we're very comfortable being vulnerable. Like when we have a patient situation and it's okay for us to sort of be a bit vulnerable around it. But then again, we're being told that we need to be strong for them and we need to kind of keep the tears and the heart stuff a little bit under wraps so that we can do our job when it is really emotionally draining. How do you mentor your teams around vulnerability? 
You know, that's a great question. I'm sure it's always a work in progress, frankly, but I think just, you know, trying to be real, trying to let them know it is okay to say what you need to say. And I use with my team all the time, give people dignity and grace. So meet them where they're at. Don't try to solve everything, which is our natural tendency. We all just want to solve someone's problems, but we might need to be okay that we can't solve it, but it's okay to be vulnerable and to just be there and meet them where they're at. Because whether it's COVID, before COVID, during COVID, after COVID, everyone's on a different plane for their journey. And meeting people where they're at, I think, is the important part. We can't always pull everyone where we're at. And I have to remind myself of that regularly. (laughs) But I think that's a true, true piece. Meeting people where they're at with dignity and grace. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So Michelle, we're going to take a beat and I'm going to go into the speed round of our session today where I ask a couple of non-traditional questions. So buckle up (laughs) and, and our listeners will get to know a little bit more about you. So first question, we always start off with this one. What does less than 10% of your work family know about you? I don't know. Maybe that I'm left-handed. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) Do you do anything right-handed or mostly everything left-handed? I cut scissors with my right hand and I bowl with my right hand. Are you a big bowler? No. (laughs) I don't know why that even came to mind. (laughs) Maybe that's a sign you need to get back out there. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) In terms of like activities or things that you like to do outside of work, what are some things that you really enjoy? You know, my biggest one is family. So family and friends. And one of the things even through the pandemic, we did make sure that we had Sunday dinner every Sunday with my parents and my mother-in-law and the boys. And that's a really important part of my life. Sunday dinner is a beautiful tradition. Is that something where you would cook or do you go to someone else's house? Well, I'm going to say I cook, but it's probably my husband should get the credit. And I mostly chop, (laughs) buy the food and chop the stuff up. So you're the sous chef. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'm pretty fancy with that. It's a very important job. Knife skills are not easy to come by. (laughs) That's right. Okay. And final question. If you could be exceptionally good at something outside of your current work, what would that be? And what would you do? I don't know. I always wanted to speak another language. So maybe I would put that on there and maybe something entrepreneurial, like some kind of a fun business that has nothing to do with HR. Maybe it's with kids or pets. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. Are there any languages that you would have marked for? Well, I have a minor in Spanish, but my son, who actually I think has become fluent, would tell me, Mom, I can't believe you have a minor in Spanish. So um, I, I do need to brush that off, I think. That might be a good activity for a Sunday dinner where it's like an immersion where he just speaks Spanish and you all have to try to understand him. That's right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate your time. Meet people with dignity and grace. I'm Rebecca Metter. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.